Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Great. Um, it's great to be with you. It's great to be back from the sunny south of France. Um, it's great to be speaking English, I have to confess. Um, so this morning we're looking at Acts chapter 1, carrying on from where Simon started last week. And there is going to be some overlap, but that's okay, um, I believe, because I believe that it's all part of what God wants to highlight to us this morning and speak to us. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 1. I'm actually going to start reading from verse 9 rather than verse 12. Great. After he said this, he being Jesus, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him, sorry, but stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go to heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number, and he shared in in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field where he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two have you chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. So, Acts chapter 1, what do we know of the story so far? Let's do a quick review, if you like, of where we're up to. This week, leading, well, leading up to the death of Jesus, I mean, leading up to Passover, it's been an intense week in the life of the disciples. They've borne witness to the death of Jesus 
their hope momentarily suspended and even lost all that they thought that would happen through his life, perhaps the way they thought life would look like with Jesus. All their thoughts, their ideas, their anticipation may be gone, may be abandoned, may be lost. Then they witness the joy of his resurrection, hope restored. He is risen, so maybe after all, life would unfold the way that they'd anticipated. Then, after being with the disciples for a period of 40 days, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes. He left them again. After the roller coaster time of all that had happened during that time, he leaves again. But thankfully for them and thankfully for us, Jesus left not without the promise of something or someone. And that is, as we know, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So as well as all the many things that he taught the disciples, um, he leaves the disciples with instructions of what he wants them to do. Instructions to wait, to wait for the gift that the Father will give them. And I wonder what would have been going through the minds of the disciples at that time, processing the departure of Jesus once again, perhaps feeling a bit confused, perhaps feeling abandoned, disappointed, maybe scared and alone, but not actually abandoned and not actually alone because they had the promise of the Holy Spirit that was coming They were told to remain and to wait for him. Waiting. The definition of waiting. To stay where one is or to delay action until a particular time or event. To remain in readiness for a purpose. If you cannot wait, used to indicate that one is eagerly impatient to do something or for something to happen, to have a period of waiting. I don't know about you, but I think we've probably all waited for something in our lives. We've waited maybe for buses, for trains, waited in a queue, waited for a birthday, waited for somebody to arrive, or maybe waited for someone to leave, Um, waited to open presents, waited for exam results, waited for a job interview, waited for somebody to have a change of heart, Waited for provision, waited for answers, waited for the fulfillment of a promise, waited for guidance, waited for healing. God, what am I to do? What's next? How am I to live while I wait? Waiting is inevitable in life. It's pretty much one of those things that is guaranteed. And I don't know about you, but I've waited for lots of things in my life. Some of them have been exciting things with anticipation Some things have been utterly terrifying and nerve-wracking, and other things have been incredibly painful, and many things that I'm still waiting for and waiting to see the fulfillment of. So if waiting is guaranteed, then how about our posture in the waiting? How are we to behave in this period of waiting? So my first point I'd like to draw from today is for the disciples and for us there was already the promise of something they weren't waiting in complete emptiness they were waiting with the promise of something 
Acts 1 tells us Jesus appeared to the disciples over a period of 40 days, giving them the instructions not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for this gift. There was the assurance from Jesus of what was to come. They weren't waiting, as I said, for an empty promise, but they were waiting for the gift from the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the disciples were waiting with that assurance from Jesus. And for us today, we may feel sometimes like we're living in Acts chapter 1, but we're also actually living in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and so on. Because for us, we're living in that fulfillment, aren't we? We're living in the fact that the Holy Spirit has come that he is active, that he is present with us today in our waiting, in our searching, in our seeking and in our need for guidance, that the Holy Spirit has come. He is with us as we wrestle maybe with living in that in-between of waiting for things, of searching, of seeking, of asking him for clarity and for guidance. We live in the reality that the Holy Spirit has come and he is with us. We don't wait in complete emptiness. I think that's really important for us to remember. So the disciples were told not to move on from the place that they were And so, too, for us, I think sometimes we need to do just the last thing that God told us to do. What was the last thing that God told us to do? And like Caroline was talking about this morning, doing it, putting it in to practice. To remain in that place, to remain in the waiting, not just to flit or to move or to fly, as it were, out of frustration, or not to move on because we just can't stand still. Um, when some of us were talking about this morning, Bex and Rach, we were talking about uh, about waiting rooms and about how you watch how different people wait in waiting rooms and how you get some people who just pace up and down, up and down, up and down because they just can't be still. They can't rest in the waiting And so too for us, sometimes we need to learn to just rest and be still in the waiting, to not flit and fly and just move out of frustration. But to remain in him and to remain rooted in community as well, alongside others. And to remember the promises that he's given to us through scripture to rest in these promises that he is faithful and that he won't abandon us. And as I said, we don't wait in total isolation. Secondly, there was a change of perspective and posture for the disciples. Acts chapter 1 verse 12 tells us that they returned to Jerusalem. They returned to the room where they were staying. After the ascension of Jesus, Jesus has left the earth and return to his father and the disciples are left looking at the sky we're told they're left looking at where he's gone and that the two men appear to them and say stop looking at the sky he's not here anymore he's not here anymore 
they had to change, the disciples had to change where they were looking. They had to change their perspective. They couldn't stay just staring at the sky. They couldn't just stay staring at what had been, at what was. They had to change their posture. They had to change their perspective. And I think too, sometimes for us, we, I don't know about you, but we can get a bit stuck We can still spend our time looking at what has gone before, looking at what's been, looking at what was. And maybe it was really, really great. You know, I can imagine for the disciples, there was pain in seeing Jesus go because life with him was up and down. But, you know, there were so many promises folded up, wrapped up in who he was Maybe it's hard for us to let that bit of the past go. And it's painful to release people, isn't it? It's painful to see people released and move on. As I said, I can imagine it was incredibly painful for the disciples to to let go of Jesus, to release him, to see him go. And difficult maybe for them to move away from that spot, to stop staring at the sky where they last saw him, where they last heard him. We can get stuck in lots of different ways, I think. We can get stuck in ways of thinking, stuck in ways of how we view ourselves, stuck in relationships, stuck in patterns of behavior. Like I said, stuck in living in the goodness of what was and what has been. And for us changing our posture and our perspective in the waiting for things means realigning ourselves with the Holy Spirit and realigning ourselves with the Word of God. It it means being willing to change. It means being willing to lay things down. It means being willing to make different choices, which can be really, really hard work. Changing our perspective and posture can mean repentance, being willing to just let things go. Thirdly, in our waiting and in our seeking God, there's an active response as well. There's an active response required. There was a response required of the disciples. In Acts chapter 114, we're told that they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with others, that they were to remain and so they gathered and they fasted and they prayed together. It wasn't a passive waiting. It wasn't a lazy waiting. It was an active waiting. A response was required of them. And maybe for them, there was a wrestling in the waiting. That maybe there was a wrestling in in processing the departure of Jesus and in looking forward to the gift that was promised to them. But there was a, like I said, there was a gathering with their fellow believers and a response of the constant prayer of asking, of seeking, of knocking um, before God. And so for us too, in our waiting and in our seeking guidance and asking things of God, there's an active response required of us that our waiting isn't to be a passive activity, but we need to rest into the waiting and rest into him, but engage ourselves, engage our spirits in the process of waiting and seeking his face for guidance, in seeking his face for the next step. 
that we're to engage in this process by joining together, that we don't do it in isolation. It doesn't have to be in isolation, but there's a joining with our community. There's a joining with the fellowship of believers in wrestling with the waiting and in seeking God for his guidance. Don't do it on our own. And we engage in the process in constant prayer by lifting one another up, by lifting up one another's needs, by lifting up one another in prayer and in fasting and in support. That waiting doesn't have to be and shouldn't be in isolation. They gathered together. And I think for us today and each time we meet, whether it be Sundays, midweek groups, there's a gathering, isn't there? There's a coming together, a lifting up in prayer, a demonstrating to one another that we're not alone, that we are part of something bigger, that we are part of the community of believers. We are part of a fellowship, part of sharing life. That waiting shouldn't be a passive process, but engaging ourselves, engaging our spirits in saying, God, what are, what are you doing in this waiting, in the things I'm asking of you, in the things I haven't yet seen, the things I want to see, the things that are in my heart, the things you want to do with us as a church? How do you want me to engage in this process of waiting? Prayer and petition to God. And fourthly and lastly, that there was a change in the ways of their thinking and their ways of living. So the rest of the passage that I read talks about how they chose a replacement disciple for Judas. Judas had gone, as we know, and they wanted to replace him. So the disciples chose two men. It says they've prayed together and then they casted lots. And we can see from other places in the Bible, like 1 Chronicles, Nehemiah, the story of Jonah, that casting lots was a way of making decisions, a way of leaving things up to God, leaving things up, um, not to chance, but leaving things up to him. And in Acts chapter 1, this um, these verses, it's the last mention in scripture of casting lots being used which I think is an interesting reflection for us to make, given that it was just before Pentecost. It was just before the arrival of the Holy Spirit, before the disciples were filled with the Spirit and were enabled by the Spirit. And as we'll see when we go further into Acts in chapter 6 and chapter 13, there are other examples of when they needed to make decisions of who to choose and who to send, but they didn't cast lots then. They were guided by the Spirit, it says. They fasted and they prayed and they listened and they acted as they felt the Spirit was speaking. So there was a shift in their thinking. There was a shift in their living. Does that make sense? The shift in their acting. They, this was the last time they relied on this way of making decisions. This was the last time they relied on casting lots as a way of guidance that they, this was the last time they used that, that old way of thinking, that old way of doing things. From once the Spirit came, then they were guided by the Spirit. They were enabled by the Spirit. And obviously for us today, as I said, we live in the reality of Acts 2. We live in the reality that 
the spirit of God has come, that he is active, that he is living, that when we're filled with his spirit, we're enabled by his spirit. But I don't know about you, but how many of us still rely on old ways of thinking, old ways of doing things, things that worked once or things that, um, yeah, that, that we've been taught or... But I think when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're guided by the Spirit, that it's not relying on our old ways of thinking anymore. It's not relying on the old ways of doing things. And personally, I think being led by the Spirit, being enabled by the Spirit is something that we learn all the time, more and more. It isn't something that we just get. It's something, it's a process, I think, of praying, of asking of seeking, of fasting, of listening, and then acting, of then stepping out in faith. And sometimes the process feels so crystal clear, doesn't it? Sometimes it's like we know that we know that we know. And other times those steps feel like they're just in darkness and we're kind of fumbling around, searching for what's next. But it's taking those steps of faith, enabled by his spirit, being filled with his spirit. And as we take those steps, guided by his spirit, then it's like we become accustomed to the sound of his voice. We become accustomed to to what it feels like when we know that the spirit's speaking We get accustomed to knowing where the peace lies and where the faith is rising and where we need to act and walk and and step out like the disciples learned to do. So being a people who are filled and enabled by his spirit doesn't necessarily mean going back to the old ways of doing things, the old ways of thinking. It means being guided and led by his spirit. Now, For the rest of this morning, we're going to do something a bit different, which I hope will bring everything together that I've talked about and will hopefully bring some clarity for you personally as well. Um, Can we just have the questions up? What I'd like us just to spend a few minutes reflecting on um, is some questions to engage ourselves um, with God um, what things are we asking God for? What things are we currently waiting for? And other things where, like the disciples' life, hasn't looked how we expected it to be. Maybe there's some disappointment. Maybe there's some hope lost. And what do you feel was the last thing that God told you to do? Maybe like Caroline brought up, we need to just start acting and start doing and putting things into practice. And do you need to remain rooted in community to rest in the waiting and to remember that the the promises that God has spoken I'd like us to spend a few minutes just reflecting personally on these questions. Um, you should have some pieces of paper around if you want to do some writing, if that helps you. Um, and then after we've done some reflecting and some thinking, there's going to be a song and a dance. And um, our heart for the song, Anna Phillips wrote, and for the dance is really that the words um, on the piece of paper that you should have and the music and the song that's being sung 
will really just let those words speak to you. Let those words speak to your spirit. And as you watch the movement of the dance, allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring his hope and his healing. Maybe bring some activity, maybe bring some response, some guidance in the searching and the seeking. So if we could have some music um, and just spend a few minutes reflecting and asking God about these questions.